Welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we're striving to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. We are so happy that you're back with us as we continue this journey through Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized by Mike Aquilina. Um, We hope that you've been reading along with us. But truth of the matter is, even if you haven't been reading the book, I think the topics are still relevant. And you don't really even need to have read it in order to to get something out of the conversations that we're having. Because there's just so much to discuss as it relates to navigating the relationship of friendship and and how, you know, we bring the Lord into all that and. See, the way I see it, Megan, we're doing some legwork for formation. We're reading in the books and we're giving out like this really great information from the fathers of the church on friendship. So we're doing the legwork. We'll do some heavy lifting for you guys right. so yeah. you can uh, benefit from the formation that they have to offer. Absolutely. And there's just, I mean, there's just so much that we can learn from the early church. And, and just to think about, you know, these pillars of Christianity who, you know, from early times, we're really striving to live out the virtues of the gospels. Mm. And, and it's such a good reminder that, you know, these are not fairy tales. These, these saints were real people dealing with real problems in real circumstances of life. And that really aren't so different from what we deal with now. And these so many of the people that we are reading about, you know, they're saints, they're recognized saints of the church, not because they were perfect, not because they were just some storybook figure who didn't really exist, you know, some Peter Pan fairy tale. They were real people who really struggled, but they struggled well. Yes. <laughs> you know, right, they, right. They, they ran the race well and they completed it in faith. And I would contend that a big part of why they were able to run the race to its completion in faith was because they didn't run it alone. Yes. You know, I mean, anybody who's ever watched, I used to for a while watch um, the uh, Tour de France before it just became so ridiculous how much like drug use, you know, drug doping and all this sort it just was a joke. <laughs> you know, I couldn't deal with it anymore, but I watched it for a while, you know, particularly during that time when Lance Armstrong was really, really good and, and everything. And, and it just really brings to mind the reality that even though one person is, ends up being the winner of the Tour de France, that person could never win that marathon race, road race, series of road races alone they need a team Mm. and the team works together in concert for the same goal and they have to help each other and sometimes somebody's in the front breaking the wind for the people behind them so they can draft and they don't have to work as hard and then then they trade off i don't know if you've ever watched it where you know your team is like you got a guy up front and then he peels off and then that next person's up front then he peels off and it's this effort that they do together teamwork teamwork to win the race Mm. right and we're all in a race towards our heavenly goal, right? The finish line that is eternity in heaven with the Lord. And we're meant to be running it together and helping each other run this race. And when Mm -hmm. one of us gets tired, somebody is meant to help and help that person be strong and and maybe take some of that, um, that slack up, you know, and just 
if we mm. try to go it alone, we are so much in danger of failing to complete the race because we will become exhausted and yes. overwhelmed, maybe get lost. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to just take a, a pause here and say to our listeners, um, who are those people in your life? Are there people in your life that um, perhaps there's what we call toxic that need to be let go? And who is it that you'd like to cultivate a relationship with because you know they're a deep person of faith and will walk with you in virtue and growth? Just take a pause and think about who are those people in your life that you want to nourish that spiritual friendship? Reach out them to reach out to them today. Text them, call them, ask them out for coffee. Mm-hmm. Nourish these relationships because we cannot do it alone. That's the, that's the whole reason we even started this podcast is, is it, we found it to be immensely nourishing for the race. Yeah, and we want to pass that on to y'all. Yeah, I guess I'm on sports analogies today because I'm also uh, calling to mind as we're recording this, um, the Major League Baseball is going through the playoffs. Right. And what happens during the playoffs, you know, when is you know this is the point where it's really serious, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you're you're striving to win the the big one, the World Series, right? Yep. Well, during the regular season, you're allowed to have a bigger roster, so you've got the opportunity to try out players, see how they're going to fit with the team, see how they're going to benefit, you know, you in in their position that they play and the way that they bat and, uh, you know, if they're pitchers, you know, their place in the bullpen, all these things, you, you know. But as it gets towards, you know, the playoff season, you've actually start to have to start decreasing your roster because you're not allowed to carry as many players in the playoffs as you are during the regular season. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm a have become a huge baseball fanatic. You know, I guess it's from living in Houston. Yeah, now, yeah living in Houston. Right. So this is the reality. As it comes down to the wire, you have to cut people who you recognize aren't helping your team win. And so as you say, like think about what friends in your life you want to cultivate. You feel like they're helping me win. And what, you know, some you may need to cut from the team because they're not helping you win. And what is winning? It's growing in holiness. Virtue. It's it's going f- closer towards the Lord. It's becoming more and more ordered towards his will and towards that ultimate goal of being forever with him in heaven. So that's the place of discernment. If you really ask yourself, you go through the people that you actually engage in relationship with. And you truly, honestly ask yourself, is this person helping me grow as a Christian? Are they helping me to win the race, which is to, to strive for holiness and to endure in it? Or are they not? Are they mm. causing me to fall into sin? Are they drawing me away from my relationship with Christ? Because if that's the answer... Something needs to change. Either you need to cut them from the team in the sense of, you know, not be ugly to them or anything, but just not give them the gift of your time. Or something needs to change in that relationship so that they, that it becomes something that draws you closer to Christ. And, and that's a place of, 
you know, you try to understand, do I think it's possible that this relationship could become that? Or no, that person's not ordered towards the Lord at all. They're not interested in those things and they're never going to be. And they're not even interested in my witness about those things. Mm. Those are probably the people that you have to say, you know what, in this race that I'm running, that's a big liability. And it's more important to me to remain true to the Mm -hmm. goal Mm -hmm. than to be distracted by things that are going to divert my attention from it. You know, I can't help but hear parenting advice in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always about that. Like the, the teenagers that have that strong draw to maybe they were in a, a crowd of people that was just for fun and it, it wasn't at all ordered toward the Lord. And as they grow and they're growing up and away from that group, it's kind of hard to break away from sure. that, yeah. those friendships. But, uh, you know, we need to encourage you know, I, I hear some of the young people in college now, because um, I have a college-age daughter, and the phrase they're using is, become friends that call you higher. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah, that phrase. It's beautiful. Have friends that call you higher, hold you to account. Yeah. I think that's, it's amazing. I love it when I hear these young people do it. It's not an easy thing to do. No, not it's easy. Not. But let's let's strive for that. Yeah. And I just realized we haven't even mentioned who's <laughs> the person that we're st- talking about in this chapter yet. So let's get to the chapter. <laughs> uh, so th- he's he's a big one. Yeah. St. Gregory the Great, mm-hmm. um, who was a pope and uh, lived at the end of the sixth century, uh, learned in this chapter that he died in the year 604. And one of the things I thought was interesting right at the beginning, he talks about how um, prior to the time of like Gregory and the, where Christians are becoming the majority now in the Roman Empire, uh, they, uh, the, the fathers would always talk about praising the glories of friendship. We've talked a lot about mm-hmm. that in, in things that we've read, you know, of various um saints and writers uh, in the book so far where they're just like talking about how great friendship is and you know what the beauty of it and everything and there it's saying now that as there's this shift where no longer are Christians a persecuted minority now they've become a majority mm. it said it shifts to warning of the temptation temptations that bad friends can bring with them because this is the reality when it's hard to be a Christian and there's a lot of temp, a lot of persecution, the people who tend to identify as Christians are truly Christian when it's easy to be a Christian and it's actually favored to be a Christian. It can bring you um, respect or uh, position or, you know, any of these things to be thought of as a Christian during the times when Christianity was just the norm. This is what you were supposed to be. You know, we lived in an age of that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what can happen then is many people will um, identify as Christians who aren't truly Christians in their heart. They're really just going along Mm -hmm. to get along, wanting the benefits that come with being identified as a Christian And there you have it. So when that's the situation, you're more likely to end up in friendships with people who say they're Christians, but really truly at their heart aren't seeking God. I love the definition of a Christian I heard not too long ago that I was like, this is so true, is a a true Christian is a follower of Jesus, like striving Mm -hmm. to live like him, to be more like him. 
and right. how many people we know proclaim to be Christians, but they're nowhere near striving to follow him. Right. Yeah. Very important distinction. Yeah. Uh, there's this singer from back in kind you of... You are with the music and I know. <laughs> his singers and songs. Yeah. And back in the 70s, sports. he was a you know, kind of part of the Jesus movement. His name was Keith Green and he sang some just amazing, beautiful Christian music. And there's this, I have this recording of him and I think it's on like his greatest hits or something where he talks about, you know, what it is to be a Christian. And he's like, some people think, you know, going to church makes you a Christian. He, <laughs> he said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> He said, "What That's makes so you, yeah. True, yeah?" He said, "What makes you a Christian?" And and he uses this in his in beautiful seventies terminology. He's like, "What really makes someone a Christian is being absolutely bananas for Jesus." Bananas. That's right. You know, just, Jesus freak man. Just being in love right. with Jesus Christ and wanting nothing more than to follow right. His commands for love of Him, not because. You feel you have to because this is the law and I'm afraid if I don't do it, I'm going to go to hell. No, for true, pure, sheer love of him. And you know what? You're going to stand out. You're going to look a little weird. That's where the freak, the Jesus freak comes in because you live differently. You live radically for the Lord. Right. And, you know, and when did it become the case that fitting in became such a big priority for people. I don't want to look weird. I don't want to look like a freak. I don't want to be that's, other. That's the vanity that comes into play. There's that vanity aspect of it and the, just that that natural concupiscence. And then there's also the draw of the world that has put money, fame, and so forth on a pedestal to drive more closely us to want the things of the world. Yeah. And and the way I'm looking at it and kind of the way I'm trying to teach my children is, do you see what culture holds to be valuable? What culture, the today's culture says is good, which today's culture like promotes. Why would you want to look like that? Mm. Like, In fact, you should desire to stick out from that. Like you, I don't want to look like that. And I want to be weird because (laughs) if not being weird means resembling that, forget it. Like, oh my gosh, the worst thing for me is to want to like fit in with that. Right. You know? And so, you know, when Jesus says rejoice, you know, when you're persecuted and when you're reviled and when, you know, and when the world hates you because of me, yes, yes. you know, like, amen. The, the mm-hmm. Lord, the world hates the Lord right now to a large degree. Well, has always the world, you know, has always really hated the Lord, you know, because it always is ordered towards the flesh and the enemy, but more and more that spirit of the enemy is becoming the pervasive culture of the world. It used to be more that there were more, more of a Christian ethos that more people held to the convictions of the Christian faith, even if they weren't Christian, like they still saw those, those values to be good and Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And we have lost that to such a large degree, even in my lifetime. 
Mm. I mean, just the, the, I can't even believe some of the things that I see going on. Well, you know, another thing along those same lines is just the, the human dignity and self-respect that say like our grandparents had with yeah. the way they dressed and presented and their politeness and their sure. manners, yeah. all of those things. What right. happened to all of that? I will argue that all of those things are a sign of respect for your, your neighbor. Oh, absolutely. For sure. And I think, you know, when you have the culture of death, you know, that from the very conception of a human being that they're not considered worth living if you don't, if they're not wanted, Mm -hmm. it sets a tone for the dignity of all others. Right. You mean like the uh, current um, political figure, not in this state, who is saying that the inflation is because Mm. of the non-abortion law, something like that? Oh (laughs) my goodness. That is so ridiculous. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's so or that a solution to our struggling financially is that you would, you know, would be killing your children in the womb. I mean, it's just disgusting. But anyway, my point all being that, you know, we shouldn't make a priority at all fitting in with the world. (laughs) And no, that's a recipe for doom and damnation. And we should, you know, we have to be aware of friends who have that as their priority. And a lot of our large part of this chapter um, actually is St. Gregory kind of breaking down the book of Job and the role of his friends in the, in that book. And basically what he's saying is they represent heretics. They're representing different ways that people put other things before God and don't trust God in the circumstances and try to draw you away from God in those circumstances. Right, right. So in our last uh, episode, we talked a lot about how you find out who your friends are in difficult circumstances, right? Yes, yes. And so what St. Gregory is saying here is in a situation where you've got Job, And his friends are trying to draw him away from God. They're trying to tell him lies about who God is and what he should do in response to his misfortune. And this is a a really terrible way that, you know, difficult circumstances can potentially not fully reveal false friends. But friends will stay by you, but they'll try to lead you away from God in those circumstances. Mm. And one of the places that I, you know, I think women can sometimes run into this issue is say you're really struggling in your marriage or something. And you've got a friend who's all they want to do is like work you up about, you know, saying really awful things about your husband and calling him names and and just be like, girl, you know, he's not worth, you know, you're, you deserve better better (laughs) and, you know, you should just, you know, do this and that and whatever, like they're might be hanging with you in your hard time, but they're trying to lead you into a place that's not holy and yeah. so you, we have to be on guard for that with friends who aren't properly oriented towards the Lord and aren't holding virtue and mm-hmm. trust in the Lord as, you know, the ordering principle. You know, Megan, I want to encourage our listeners, too, that sometimes it's OK to let those friendships go. I mean, Megan and I have both been through that where we had some that weren't edifying and they weren't ordered in the direction that we wanted to go toward mm-hmm. the Lord because they just weren't. 
And it is a sad and difficult thing, but I think that the Lord will let it happen in a very natural way to kind of like slough and just let go of those friendships that aren't edifying to the Lord. Right. But I will say something about in this chapter, he does talk about that even though these friends were heretics, they were trying to lead um, Job away from God in various ways. In the end, when it all comes back around, they actually are converted. And why are they converted (laughs) is because of the sacrifices of Job. And what he, what um, St. Gregory points out is that it is, and that he's saying while those friends represented heretics, Job represents the church. Mm. And it is through the church that the heretics can be reconciled back to God, but only through the church. And so we in our lives, even if we have to let go of some friends in the sense of engaging with them in a more personal way with our time, we still shouldn't forget them in our prayers. And we should offer prayers of reparation and and make sacrifices for them because the desire is that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and and come into true faith. And so in the chapter, um, St. Gregory writes, the sacrifices of heretics cannot be acceptable to God unless they are offered for them by the hands of the Catholic church, that they may gain a healing remedy by the merits of the church they used to attack with the shafts of their reproaches. So even if somebody comes around to, you know, a new understanding of God and the church and who they, who they're meant to be in him, it is only through the church that they can truly be reconciled to God. Yes. You know, and that's something we should always keep in mind, even when we're feeling like we have to maybe separate ourselves from people. We're still meant to be witnesses to the truth of Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. And we have to take care in how we deal with those people who are away from the Lord, because our hope and desire should always be that eventually they will come to know the Lord. We don't just wash our hands of them and never think of them. And I would add to that, that just deep prayer for that person in general, because God can only move their heart. We have to come from a place of prayer to especially if you're kind of estranged from a friend or family member. Right. Pray for them, my friends. Yeah. And, and I will admit, I'll be the first person to admit because, you know, I have it in many places in my relationships where there are people who are either not Christian at all or not at all engaged with the church. Mm-hmm. And there is this huge desire for for them to be in unity with me and the church. And there's a great suffering that comes that that reality doesn't exist at this time. But it's not where I, so sensuality would then say, I'm just going to separate myself from those relationships because it's painful to not be unified. And, and that may not even necessarily mean that, oh, I'm never going to talk to them or spend any time with them. We can separate ourselves from relationships just by putting up walls in our heart, no longer seeking them out with true desire to be with them and spend time with them, just kind of like being in the same room, but not really in the same room. You know what I mean? Yes. yes, yes. So even in our closest relationships, we can shut doors on people that we're, we're still 
in relationship, but we're not really caring about the other and desiring more. Mm hmm. So that would be the easy thing to do in a relationship where you're longing for deeper unity, to just shut the door of your heart, put up the walls of self-protection and say, well, that's just never going to happen. I'm just going to have to protect myself from the pain. And, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's so much we can learn through that pain to really experience it, to continue to accept the pain of disunity because the Lord feels the pain of disunity. He wants to be united to every single one of his people that he's created. And so many people say no to him. And so we can grow in intimacy with the Lord in our suffering, uh, the lack of unity with the people in our lives, because we can know the heart of the Lord more because he's feeling the exact same thing. And, and more intensely. Right. And much more intensely. Right. Yes. And that unity with the Lord and that willingness to endure the suffering with him may be the very thing that brings that soul eventually to right. him. Yes. And, and while you're saying this, I'm reminded this, this seems more like family, you know, mm -hmm. like family members. That's right. Yeah. Even the gospel a few days ago, mother against daughter, so mm -hmm. forth and so on. Yeah. You see that a lot in families. Sure. Um, and a wise priest once told me, ah, oh, Pam, to my unbelieving um, relatives, ah, uh -huh. oh, Pam, the Lord puts praying people in the same family together to try and convert hearts. And I thought yeah. it was so beautiful. It, it breathes so much hope in me. It's like, okay, that's my job. Right. Is to be the best Catholic Christian I can be and to continue to pray and love them very well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that one it? more chapter down. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah, this chapter, you know, was a really point poignant poignant. Mm -hmm. It was it was taking on that idea of when we have relationships in our lives that are just really not helping lead us to the Lord, but trying to lead us away from the Lord and, and how to deal with that. And so, you know, we always need to keep our hearts and minds close to the Lord and test everything and keep what is good, you know? And so it's important to always kind of take stock on our relationships and just see, you know, what are people in my life leading me towards, are they leading me towards the Lord or are they trying to lead me away from the Lord? And, and if the answer is the latter, we need to make sure that we don't fall prey to that. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us again this week. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I know it's been a blessing to us. We always enjoy these conversations yes. and we're marching towards the end of uh, this book. So it's, it's a, a neat journey that we've been on. So thank you for walking it with us. And we pray that you will join us again next time. And until then, we hope you will re remain united with us in prayer. God, God bless. bless.